Due to unforeseen technical issues, the following interview contains occasional audio glitching and popping. We felt the content of this interview was still absolutely worth sharing. Thank you for your understanding and enjoy. And then he said, you know, hang on. And he pulled over and he got out his own roadmap and he looked on the roadmap and he said, you know what? I've just made sense of it. Thank you so much, but I'll take it from here. And the call ended. My guest today is an Indiana-born model actor turned self-taught filmmaker. With his interest in psychology, he has taken himself from the pages of GQ and Cosmo to appearances in films like 300, television shows like The Mindy Project, to making films. In fact, on the heels of 17 short films, he took the opportunity in 2021 to create a feature-length film called The Great Awakening, which is available now on multiple streaming platforms, including Tubi TV. My guest is Bo Roberts. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. This is episode 52 of the Changed Podcast. Here's Bo's story. This story actually um, is, you know, basically a way that I honor my late grandfather. He was a traveling businessman his entire life. The moment I got involved in print modeling, immediately, he didn't, you know, really ask too many specifics, but he kept telling me, you have to learn how to sell yourself. Like, when you walk in the room, you are the product. You have to make sense of who are you talking to and how do you have to tailor your message to this potential customer that's you know going to do the shoots or commercial or whatever. And he kept saying it. And when I began going to acting school, he said, I'm sure you're probably not going to be the only guy in Los Angeles that has eight pack abs and, and a good jawline. So... What what's that special ingredient you bring to the table that's going to separate you from the pack? And everything he said is, you know, you you have to go out and you have to make it happen. You have to find a way to make it happen because the way you think is going to go down isn't how it happens themselves. It's a lot more convoluted than what people think. He wound up uh, passing away probably three to four years ago, and it was right at this time when I fired my agents, managers, and stuff like that, because, you know, I was holding up my end of the bargain, working hard. I would have a voice coach for uh, accent training or reduction, and still going to the gym, still going to acting school, and, you know, just doing everything they had, everything they had to work with. And I was just fed up with, you know, kind of the lack of progress that I was making. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, cancel everything start fresh and it was right at the time that he passed away and then shortly after that that's when uh, uh covid uh came on going through covid i you know shot like this short web series and um began polishing scripts that i i've been uh not really paying attention to and you know competing like i should have and then um i began thinking uh, about 
like, okay, this is that moment of potential change for me. Are you doing what you want to do in life? Are you sure? Are you positive? Because it's, it's a long, hard road. And I said yes to everything that I am still in Los Angeles and I'm here to do what I want to do, which is have a creative career. And so that's what pushed me to saying, okay, um, go all in, upgrade your lights, upgrade your camera. And um, it, it was interesting because so um, my grandfather being a traveling salesman, he would drive a car for like six years, six or seven years, and then he would park it over at my mom's. And then if somebody needs it for whatever reason, it's it's there to be driven because my pickup truck was on street parking and it got absolutely destroyed by somebody that crashed into it. I flew back to Indiana, got the car, and back to California. So I had the car that he drove off the lot. And the same day that I uh, actually put the full amount down to purchase this camera, the Fred Komodo. But the day that um, I went from being on the early list to actually paying it, I'm driving home and I started hearing his voice. And I'm driving home and somehow an old conversation got saved when he called OnStar. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm just... I'm I'm meeting directions and um, I'm driving down this road and it's like I'm up in the hills in this windy and I'm just trying to make sense of where to go and um, the OnStar was like sure um, so you shouldn't be coming up here and you have to do this and he's like no no I'm not seeing it and then he said you know hang on and he pulled over and he got out his own roadmap and he looked on the roadmap and he said you know what I just made sense of it. Thank you so much, but I'll take it from here. And the call ended. When that happened, that's when I was like, you know what? That says everything because I would try as hard as I can, train, go to school, do the things I'm supposed to do. But at the end of the day, I would put my career in somebody else's hands that, you know, they're trying and they may really believe in me, but they're not going to care as much as I do about my own career. So that's when I'm like, I'm done playing this waiting game and being polite and waiting on the phone to ring. I'm just going to blast off and do my own thing. I'm going to make it happen. So it was, you know, just so odd. The same day that, you know, I dropped thousands and thousands of dollars on a camera to advance my career. Literally some weird pre-recorded conversation from my late grandfather, the one that's been telling me, make it happen. You have to make sense of how to sell yourself. So for me now, I have the camera and I have lights. and I direct my first feature. But when I'm not developing my next project, like, you know, if I'm writing, maybe I take two weeks and I'll go work as a BP on somebody else's project or a camera off. And, you know, I have the gear which all of a sudden I'm not just um, a camera guy. I'm a camera guy that has plenty of gear. All of a sudden that's that special ingredient separating me from the group. So everything he has been telling me for so long, I'm like, it finally made sense. Sadly, it's after he passed away, but he found a way back into the car that day to remind me one more time. So that would be uh, one thing that definitely changed me. 
Up next, my interview with Bo Roberts. In this conversation, we talk about his film, The Great Awakening. We also talk about what it's like to go from being in front of the camera as a model and an actor to behind the camera as a director and filmmaker. We discuss, of course, his thoughts on change and his own changing perspective as a result of previous work done, for example, as a corrections officer. Bet you didn't know that about Bo. That much and more coming up right now. Welcome to the Changed Podcast, Bo. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. How are you? <laughs> Can't complain. I'm happy. Good, 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 good. <laughs> well, um, you you went from modeling and acting to being behind the camera. That's a big change mm. in and of itself. But before we get there, <clears throat> I thought maybe we could actually talk just a little bit about The Great Awakening, which is a very... It's an interesting title choice. Can you talk just a little bit about just about that? The Great Awakening to me is a very apropos movie to talk about on the Change podcast. Um, it's my version of a COVID movie. And the way I came up with the idea was um, I got to this launching point because I viewed 2020 as a period of transition for Everybody on a litany of skills, large and small. And I was talking to my wife about just blasting off and shooting a full-length movie. And she said, I love it. That's a great idea. Just don't do it about COVID because that's what every low-budget movie is going to be for the next five years. So I'm like, (laughs) okay, got it. So I'm going to make a movie about COVID. (laughs) um, (laughs) But but not so on the notes because to me, everybody's like, Let's make a movie about getting the virus, uh, the virus mutating you into a monster or lockdown, being some mass enslavement of the human race, so on and so forth. To me, I watched a documentary called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. And it basically plots in chronological order. And you have like George A. Romero, Wes Craven, all of these icons of horror movies explaining how they felt in society and how the movies replicated it. So, for instance, uh, the 50s, post-World War II, a lot of uh, horror movies had an apocalyptic uh, atomic bomb feeling to it. Uh, You jump up to the 60s, Summer of Blood, drug experimentation. So a lot of movies were about the drug-fueled pothead kidnapping Daddy's Little Angel, and uh, then Mm -hmm. you get to the 70s, and that's when the Summer of Blood ended. Now we have Watergate, and we have um, Vietnam, and the, the country overall just has kind of a bad taste in its mouth. So that's when like four movies went ultra violent and interim movies like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So with that knowledge, I began thinking, okay, let's not get too obvious and on the nose with it. What does 2020 mean to me? And um, COVID is introduced. I'm hearing something about lockdown, but that's all over the world. Um, murder hornets are on the news for some reason. And I don't remember what happens that, um, but then the uh, CIA released over 10,000 documents confirming interactions with UFOs. Uh, we had a very turbulent election year. I'm like, what's next? Because I have no idea. So for me, 2020 could be summarized with one word being uncertainty. So that's 
the structure of my COVID movie is playing on the emotion of uncertainty. So as you watch it, things happen the way they're meant to, but they, um, but there's something odd about it, something you're not going to expect to have happen. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, basically how that storyline really, uh, came to be. Yeah. So I watched it in, uh, Mm -hmm. in prep for our conversation and I would not describe it as a specifically COVID movie, though it is specifically placed within that time period with Mm -hmm. all of that stimulus. It's definitely a very specifically psychological horror or psychological thriller. It's placed in, I don't want to give it like everything away, but like you you really see uh, one character's particular journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And that question, that dangling, dangling question of what is reality now, I think, um, mm-hmm. is sort of what I took away from it. Uh, how did you land on Great Awakening as the title? I have heard the term Great Awakening <clears throat> refer to many things, specifically in the past couple of years, uh, this idea that people, uh, like, I, I want to say a lot of folks who followed Q, like, I feel like I heard a lot of those folks using the term Great Awakening, uh, talking about, like, understanding that the world isn't what it seems and that idea. Mm-hmm. I've also heard the term recently for folks who are like, we're building a new way of being with each other. This is about waking up to... Um, being inclusive and all like, I feel like I hear great awakening awake woke. I feel like I hear these terms thrown about to mean different things, but strongly, and then also equally weaponized against the other group who would be using the terms Mm -hmm. in a different way. What do you say to that? For me, um, there is a very, on the nose response that I have for, you know, what does the Great Awakening mean? And in the movie, you have this moment that really symbolizes so much of, you know, there's a lot of details and notes in the script that the audience, I know they're just not going to get because it's like super layered. Uh, But yeah, so in the movie, you have this moment of the lead character uh, going through a tunnel of light and you see the light at the end of the tunnel and I put that in there because I, you know, have the thought, what does that mean? Well, two different people, nature and nurture, um, it's heavily involved in this, um, but it means something different. So if you're religious, you think it's an interaction with God, going to heaven, so on and so forth. If you're um, agnostic uh, and or, you know, spiritual, it would be astral projection, out-of-body experience. Or if you're uh, atheist, uh, not believing in God, uh, that's where uh, I, you know, just got pretty, not generic, but um, um, generalized it with the science community. And and mm-hmm. in science, they say that when you have a near-death experience, blood begins draining from your brain. Um, and it's similar to running a car engine without enough oil in it. It runs it hard and ragged. And this action mm-hmm. of your brain doing that throws your mind into an altered state of consciousness. And now people who have come back from that, they've stated, you know, they've seen this bright light, but like they were flying through a tunnel. So for me, I'm like atheist, agnostic, and religious people are all experiencing the exact same thing. 
but they have an entirely different opinion of what it is. So to me, mm-hmm. that's why the Great Awakening, it can mean so many things, which is why my, um, uh, my ending, which is, a uh, you know, I'm desperately trying to keep that ending hidden until people actually watch it, but I left it open ended enough, but, uh, there are a couple of details to kind of, you know, yeah. hammer down the point of kind of what it was. So, yeah. I'm also not going to give away the ending, but I really appreciated the ending. I felt like the the journey the story took me on, I was like, okay, where is this going to go? And then I thought the ending really was a, a clever cap. I'll just say that. So I'll, because <laughs> I, I also yeah. don't want to give it away. I think if, yeah. I think if folks want to, if you, if, think, if listeners want to go watch it, they should w- watch it all the way to the end. Yeah. It's an so- ending that I think is worth worth getting there for. Um, Thank you. Yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm quite, yeah. I'm quite proud of it. I was wanting to cap it enough, but leave room for interpretations, watch it. And then I want viewers, please, if you're watching, watch it and then message me and tell me what you think it means and what it means to you. And yeah. Let's talk about what it's like to go from being in front of the camera to being behind the camera. What's that like? Going from in front of the camera to behind the camera to me was a very enjoyable experience. Um, from the moment I began modeling down in uh, South beach, Miami, that like that same month I moved there, um, I received a photography camera for my birthday and immediately got used to landscape photography. And then once I went up to, uh, Manhattan and I lived there for about two, two and a half years, but I, went to Europe for a fashion week and wound up staying there for three months. And during that time, I'm being exposed to a lot of various types of people. So doing street photography, random people doing random things, Mm -hmm. I fell in love with it. So I began doing that um, all the while modeling and going to acting school. And so like modeling, I knew that was the means to an end. Um, I just kind of fell into it because, you know, I came from being a diesel mechanic and uh, law enforcement and a cage fighter. And now I'm putting on face cream every day. So like, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> that is quite I'll, a I'll list. Take, yeah. I'm like, I'll take and run with it. But you know, I'm like, yeah. Um, but we don't stay young. Forever, do you think having, do you think having experience in front of the camera gives you um, helpful insight when you're stepping into a writer role or a director role? 100%. Um, Working on camera has definitely helped me as a director uh, where, you know, like I I know how it is to, you know, really work on a script and you're pretty intimate with the the creators of it and everybody's on the same page and you uh, walk on set and execute. But then I've also been the actor that you're just doing a job. So, you know, you booked it, they email sides to you, you have one day to get off book show up and go for it. So for me as a director, my ability to communicate with actors, I feel like it's greatly improved uh, simply because like I've been that person to where like they walk in and they don't know anybody. Even if you're a super seasoned veteran actor, if you walk on set and you don't know anybody, you know, it's, it's not the best feeling. Um, so for me to break the ice with certain people um, and just kind of warm them up, but then also how to convey what I, you know, what changes need to be made. So that, that was mm-hmm. a, yeah, a, a definite plus going from in front of the camera to behind it. 
Do you have a strong desire to continue doing work in front of the camera at all? Or are you done with that? Is that chapter closed <laughs> and now it's only behind the camera work? Yeah. Um, the more the more time I spend behind the camera, the more I enjoy it. So my um, passion for being on camera, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm never going to shut that door. Uh, and I, I do have two movies that I've come up with. So I have about 15 feature film scripts that I, I've written. And two of them specifically are are with me in mind to be the lead character. So one of them, hmm. I need to hurry up and find an investor because I'm starting to age out of that role. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is what it is. I didn't think that was a thing for men. I thought that was just women that age oh, yeah. out. Well, um, it's, yeah, it's the industry is brutal towards women and how early they can age out. And for men, you know, having a salt and pepper, you know, it's, oh, you're distinguished. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a double standard. Yeah. But whatever. Big time. But, for, but it just seems yeah. to be true. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is. Um, so uh, for me, though, aging out of that one role, something that I'm like, yeah, it's, I would have to explain the idea off camera to you and you, and it wouldn't make sense. <laughs> Just trust me on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk. We'll just talk after I quit recording. It'll just, it'll be our secret. I promise Perfect. not to tell uh, that, Mom's you boring. know, the interviewee, interviewer confidentiality thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that famous confidentiality exchange. Um, <laughs> well, um, you know, it, when I think about that shift, one of the things that crosses my mind is, like to go from independent film to big film house, that's another giant leap to take. Is that something that you aspire to do to get into directing large budget projects that you did not think up yourself? Uh, yes. Uh, and specifically directing somebody else's projects that, that is something that I am very much looking forward to because mm-hmm. as a writer and creator, um, I'm very confident with my abilities uh, to create, but to me, it's, it, it seems fun. You know, it's um, like there have been times that somebody um, would send me a short film script and I would read it and my terms and conditions on, if I want to direct it, I have a, you know, a few hard lines of stuff that I don't want to be attached to, but then more importantly, it's like, as I'm reading the script, am I watching the movie play in my head? Because if it's written in such a way that I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm already envisioning. I'm already seeing it happen. Then I know exactly what to do with it. And then once I have that, then I can do the fun stuff and get the nuance, creative notes and stuff like that. Um, as far as scaling up, um, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I shot the great awakening, um, initially uh, I, you know, I came out and outright lied about the, the budget. Um, I was trying to sound big budget. So I said it had a uh, $2,500, but in reality, it was only $1,600 I had to shoot the movie with. And wow. on set, it was me and one other crew member, uh, for three weeks. <laughs> so, um, wow, I-, I would love to get to the point <laughs> where, you know, like maybe, <laughs> You know, I have a couple people helping out. So, yeah. So yeah. Wow. Up. That's wild. 
I would not have guessed that it was that low of a budget uh, watching it. So that's so congrats taking it from that low budget into a place where people can watch it so readily. That's really great. Uh, My husband and I are both performers, but I I do improv and then I do this. He actually does acting work and recently was part of a independent film, feature length independent film. And I was an extra on set one day. Um, And yeah, it, the whole thing is mystifying to me the way independent film works. You know, everyone thinks about movies and film as this extremely, you know, you hear these numbers on the news, right? Like billions of dollars to create a Marvel movie and then like million dollar contract disputes. And that's so far from actually the majority of movies being made the majority of films the stories that are being put out there are from independent artists and it's hard to find access to them so i i'm really excited for you that your film is in a place where people can actually watch it thank you you know trying to thrive in the in the making world um it's always tough you know it's very um has a killer be killed mentality at times to it um, but one thing I have noticed is that uh, technology is really helping it, indie filmmakers really succeed to where all, all of a sudden for me, yeah, for $1,600, I have a red camera that's on the Netflix approved list, which means technically if Netflix likes the movie enough, they, they can pick it up because they have a pretty short list that has maybe 10 cameras. And if your camera is not on that list, Netflix won't even touch it. So for me, I'm just one guy. I have one crew member, um, but you know we're shooting a, a feature film. So all of a sudden, you don't have to be in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, to have a filmmaking career. And um, oddly enough, uh, Kentucky, as of two months ago, uh, they now have the highest tax incentive credit for filming in the entire country. Oh, so they're, that's they're, cool. So there is a shift to where, you know, it's de- a very definite push to where you don't have to be at a mega temple paramount uh, type of company in Hollywood, California to have a filmmaking career. So I think that's awesome. That's so cool. That's a massive change. Well, speaking of change, uh, <laughs> when you hear the word change and you think about your personal relationship with that word, what comes up for you? Like, is change something you think about a lot or is it easy for you to shift? Is change challenging? What are your thoughts um, just about that word? Yeah, my my thoughts on change is that it's a necessity in life. Um, te- technology all of a sudden came and there's a, a lot of people that were adults in life just having to adapt and change with the times and just stay up to date on everything. I can already see how a lot of people are struggling if they don't change with the times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great observation. Something I've been really intrigued with lately is um, how do people change their minds about something that they believe really strongly in? So, um, you know, I know people who have, abandoned their religious upbringing or likewise have converted to a particular religion after being raised secular or have Mm -hmm. shifted to a different political party. And I, I'm totally intrigued by that. Like, how does that happen? How do you shift your beliefs? And I guess I'm curious, have you ever changed your mind about something really big? 
changed my mind on a large scale, not really the core values and morals that I've had ever since, you know, I was in sixth grade. Um, it holds true with me today. Um, so yeah, I haven't changed that much, but with that being said, it used to always irritate me, um, you know, in high, in high school and a couple of years after go back and you read that yearbook and everyone's like, you're cool. Never change. I'm like, no, I want to change. Like that's, to me, that's kind of the point in life. Just explore and stuff. Um, but, but as far as, um, um, something that I've really kind of changed my perspective on, I would say working in law enforcement, it's not that it changed my opinion, but it enlightened me a bit more, which, it, you know, mm-hmm. I think the more information you have, the more likely you are to evolve your way of thinking in one way or another. So for instance, um, I'm actually scarred for life here because I, a guy came in um, and I, I worked in corrections in the county jail. So anybody that's on any substances, I have to suit up and go play with them. So this guy came in and he was only drunk, nothing else in the system. Um, but because of how the fight went down, uh, the teeth on the, the handcuffs ripped across and uh, gashed me open. And, you know, that's a reminder that I, I used to have to get physical and hands-on with somebody about once per night, um, Friday and Saturday, two to three times a night. Uh, but everybody that walked through the door, if they only had marijuana in their system, they're chill. They're like, you got me. Uh, are we doing prints? Are we taking photos now? Uh, can I have a sandwich? You know, like it's just <laughs> so for, for me, you know, growing up in the Midwest, it's a very conservative mindset. And I'm like, why is alcohol legal? And I'm constantly fighting people, but anybody that comes in with weed on them, they're like the most docile and chilled people. So that began really kind of, um, you know, that was one way that it enlightened me. And then there was a, a second time that uh, this guy got called down. He was being uh, released finally. And I was walking him out and he, you know, was very tearful and emotional because he was about to meet his daughter for the first time. Uh, Cause he had spent probably about six months being locked up. He's like, Oh, Roberts, you know, might see, uh, might see you on the street, but, I'm done with this stuff. I have daughter to look after now. So take care of yourself. So, you know, we shook hands and off he went. And it was about maybe five months later, I looked up and here he comes walking in the front door. And I'm like, dude, what happened? Like you said, you're going to be on the straight and narrow and um, all of the stuff. And you have a daughter. Like, why are you back in here? He's like, Roberts. I tried. Um, but my, my wife has, a newborn baby girl and a grown man that she has to feed now because I was young and dumb, got involved with wrong people and got a felony when I was 18 years old. Nobody's going to hire me. He said, I gave myself three days to relax once I got out. After that, everywhere uh, I could possibly put in a job application, being a janitor, being garbage man. Uh, being a librarian, he said, I, I didn't care what it was. I needed employment. Nobody's going to hire me. So I was forced to go back into this lifestyle to try and make ends meet. And hearing that story, 
And so that mixed with people coming in after smoking marijuana, like I'm 21 years old. So I'm still a very young man being exposed to this very blunt, raw type of life. So hearing him say that, I'm like, yeah, what do you do with that? So, you know, that really, you know, back to it, that didn't change my mind in a way, but it, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks when he really explained it, you know, as I'm like patting him down. And, um, yeah, it gave me a lot of information that helped further kind of the mentality uh, I have. Thank you for those examples. I think that um, to me, the idea that your thinking was expanded is pretty profound in and of itself. It really, it really shows how another person's experience can actually really overlap one's life. You know, that we don't mm-hmm. in fact exist in little individual bubbles. We, our lives and our intersect other people's lives all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I, I think those are really interesting stories before you worked there. You said you had a pretty conservative upbringing. What did you think about people who end up in jail with a drug charge? Well, specifically like a, a marijuana charge. Did you make um, assumptions about those people or no? Um, yes and no. Uh, for, for me, my mentality, which my my parents are, I think, complete rock stars. They're, um, you know, they don't have much tolerance for um, people who are lazy. Um, those are probably people that they don't get on well with. But as far as, um, you know, race, gender, um, sexual identity, what have you, like they're, they're great. So for me, like I went into law enforcement with the understanding that my job is to keep the peace. Uh, that's just all I do. Um, I'm not the judge, jury, definitely not the executioner. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to interact with these people and just see what it is. Cause yeah, like I've dealt with, you know, that guy who took so much pride and now he's a father and he wants to be on the straight and narrow, but he was caught up on drug charges. But then I've dealt with, you know, the, the jackass that keeps running his mouth and it's being very disrespectful. And, uh, you know, him, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're just a punk. So, you know, it's like, okay, you're a drug dealer, you're a drug dealer, but two very, uh, I would say you're a good guy that's kind of doing, you know, bad or wrong things. There are the stories that we want to tell that we become to mind. And then there are the stories mm-hmm. that surprise us. They're like just part of our makeup. We're like, well, that here, let me give you an example. We tell those stories. So I think it's cool to get both. Sure. Um, yeah, so my story about chains, you know, just so odd. The same day that, you know, I dropped thousands and thousands of dollars on a camera to advance my career, literally some weird pre-recorded conversation from my late grandfather. So everything he has been telling me for so long, I'm like, it finally made sense. Sadly, it's after he passed away, but... He found a way back into the car that day to remind me one more time. I mean, I can just picture you in that car driving. And then that initially the, the like, what's happening when you hear that voice. And then the, mm-hmm. like, right. he ends up following his own roadmap and that's exactly what you're <laughs> yeah. doing. That's really yeah. incredible. Do, I mean, do you believe in ghosts? Um, 
Yes and no. Like it's very interesting to where uh, I think that there is a residual energy or um, yeah, that that's something to where you know I've had several you know interactions and a couple of them had plenty of witnesses. Um, so it's something that I can't really make sense of. Uh, but yeah, there was stuff happening to where like uh, like for instance. Um, I was dating a girl in Indiana. We were both in my basement. She had 10 of her friends with her. They were about to throw a surprise birthday party for um, the friend that was coming over for a movie night. And um, Aaron was leaning on the uh, downstairs closet door and talking. And she was mid-sentence. So like 10 people had uh, eyes on her. All of a sudden, something inside the closet hit the door so hard her entire body came up and went back yeah and then we opened <laughs> the, we opened the closet the only thing tall enough to even tip over was a broom that was six feet away leaning on the far side of the wall and then you had like a couple two by two moving boxes nothing in there had the ability to fall over much less generate that uh, that type of force to take a human being and push them off so, you know, like I've had stuff like that happen. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. That's wild. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's a fun, uh, here's a fun fact about me is uh, everywhere I go where somebody has had a supernatural experience, when I show up, those experiences stop happening. <laughs> they oh, yeah? just stop happening by the nature of me being there. Oh. Huh. So are you? Um, so I don't know. I hope this doesn't ruin it for you. I oh, mean, I'm not physically there, so maybe you'll not. still get to have right. these. <laughs> yeah, because to me, like, I'm, yeah, like uh, I'm into it because you know, some people you meet and you don't know why you just want to hug and kiss them. Other people you don't know why you just want to smack them in the mouth. But then five seconds, there's like, yeah, there's something going on here. Um, for me, it, it's the same way with these type of experiences to where like if I'm sitting here and all of a sudden if you know my hair stands up and if I go on high alert defense mode I'm like there's some something that just came around that's you know putting my body into that but like I don't know I'm I'm playing Xbox with my buddies and my dog's passed out next to me I'm not like you know playing a Ouija board by candlelight you know like scaring myself or anything Sure. Um, so when that when that happens, um, I've learned that you have to be very direct and say that you're not welcome. I want you to leave uh, immediately and yeah. say it with you know some gumption about it. But other times, I'm like, yeah, I I, I kind of feel like I'm being watched, but I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really on edge, so it's all good. <laughs> Whoa, Bo, model, actor. Filmmaker, psychic medium. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Might end up having a, a new show on Amy this fall. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What do you think your What do you think your grandfather would have to say to you now that you are bringing that special sauce? You're You're following your own roadmap. What do you think mm. he would have to offer you now? Because Based on what you've told me, I'm I'm guessing he'd still want to impart some wisdom. 
Wow. That's a really fantastic question. Um, not something I've honestly really thought of just because, you know, is that that was that one thing he was wanting me to get through my skull. Um, and he had to do it post-mortem. So he, he made sure, you know, I, I got that, but what else he would want? Um, I don't know. Um, when he was in advanced age, he moved from Tennessee up to Indiana. And whenever uh, I would see him, uh, you know, he, uh, that's when he was making comments about, you know, calling people that you love and care about and, um, just spending time with people. And fortunately that's something that, you know, the moment I moved away, I, I very immediately felt that pull from like, okay, I'm off making sense of life and kind of what I'm into and, you know, just kind of where I'm going to settle. But all the while it's like friends and family are back home in Indiana. So, um, for me, like calling loved ones, that's something I, I do frequently. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your stories with me today. It's fun talking with you. Are there any final thoughts you would love listeners to take away from our conversation about change, about pursuing your passions, following your own roadmap, or anything else? Um, well, as far as following your own roadmap, Everybody that I've seen start something, um, my, my mom, uh, she owns a truck driving company. And I remember when she first started it, she was pulling 14 hours a day and I'd be in the office with her and she was going over the books, just line by line, day in and day out. And she did that for years. Um, and for me, you know, I'd shot 15 short films working on lighting, camera movements, uh, really building my knowledge. And I did 15 uh, short films where I'm the only crew member on set. Like um, the way I structured it is I would tell talent, hey, here's the uh, the boom mic. So you're going to do your action. You're going to walk over here. And then you have to get under the mic before you say your line because we don't have somebody following you. So like I'm talking about, I was down and dirty let's just do it so um and i, I have tons of um examples I, I can work with but essentially just start just do it and you know if you're serious about it if you're legitimate in what you want to do you will be amazed in just two years when you look back just for me it happened for in one year, I shot five short films and I could see the jump in quality and how I would cut things together, coloring, lighting, everything just got better immensely. And for my mom, it was a hard five years, but after 10 years, you know, that's when okay, the company's established and it's grown and she's a lot more hands off and she's kind of enjoying a uh, somewhat of a retirement instead of having to be in the office slugging away for 14 hours a day. So just be honest with that hard work, get in and just make it happen. Great, great words of wisdom. 
Thank you so much, Bo Roberts. I'll have links, of course, in the show notes for anyone to find uh, The Great Awakening, uh, to find out more about you. And um, I don't know, maybe we'll even put a link if somebody wants to get a really expensive filmmaking camera. I'm not making promises. We'll (laughs) see. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. And now just a few closing thoughts from the host. I love this takeaway message of follow your own roadmap and just start. It's really, really true. In my experience, the only way to move forward is to start walking. And oftentimes, despite that being true, despite us each having our own experiences that demonstrate the truth of that sentiment, we have a tendency to wait with this like anticipation that the walking will happen when the walking is ready. The truth is there's never a great time to do the things that you really want to do. There's almost never a full alignment of stars when you take your first steps. But when you take those first steps, if that's the path that really is yours, the universe will begin to open up door after door after door along your path making it easier for you to traverse it. So I love it. Start. Why not? What do you have to lose? It's just one step. Thank you so much for supporting the Changed Podcast. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.